Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäb's ein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hello and welcome to Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga podcast. I'm your host, Manuel Feit, and as always, I'm joined by Stefan Biemkowski. Stefan, how's it going? Yeah, very well indeed. Uh, really enjoyable game of good weekend, rather, of international. Uh, God, I can't even speak. A very good weekend of German football. Sorry, I was talking about international football on a TV show earlier, so my mind is muddled up. But yeah, looking forward to this episode. There's a lot of really interesting things to talk about. I do think we have actually it is going to be very interesting. A few big topics, a few things to clear up, maybe as much as we can. We're going to try our best. Um, yeah, it's going to be a really, really good podcast, I think, with lots of interesting topics. We're going to talk obviously about uh, Freiburg against Bayern, the whole legal fiasco, preview the, the Villarreal game, uh, maybe chat a little bit about Lewandowski and Musiala, and then. Dortmund Leipzig, we have that on the program. Um, lots to talk there, and then a little bit of a Europa League preview as well. So, yeah, that and much more all coming to you after this break. This episode of the Game Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. We are finally here. The top teams in college basketball have been determined, and the final four is set. Looking to wager on these games or the national championship? Head over to betonline.ag on your desktop or mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BLEAV to get started. That's B-L-E-A-V. BLEAV. BetOnline remains your number one spot for all updated odds and info along with player props and new contests throughout the year. It's the best source for all your sporting wagering needs including live betting and everyone's favorite Vegas casino and poker games. It's super easy to get started. So join today. Learn why everyone is saying BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to wager on sports. BetOnline, where the game starts. Yeah, Stefan, um, the Freiburg-Bayern game, um, it seemed pretty clear-cut, right? I mean, Bayern win this game 4-1. Mm -hmm. um, they were up 3-1 with just moments to go really in the game. When... Um, There was a little bit of chaos on the field with with an extra sub, with a substitution being made, where um, Kathleen Kruger on the sideline, the Bayern, I don't even know what her exact role is, uh, administrator for the, on the yeah. bench. She holds up the number 29, which is of course Coman's uh, old number, um, rather than his new number, the number 11. And he stays on the pitch and was involved for 15 second buy and play with an extra man. Now the rules about this are quite clear. Um, the the player in question uh, has to come off. Um, Freiburg was supposed to be given a free kick. Um, they didn't. Um, the referee team made a mistake there. But because um, Kuman didn't enter the field illegally, he was not to be issued a yellow card. Same with the guys that did come on um, because they were not at fault. So uh, no no rule violations there. And um, we did speak to Chris Williams, who does this full time. He is a referee. Um, and we did we did also, you know, Colinas Erben on Twitter, great account on refereeing, made this quite clear that on paper, this should be all clear cut, right? The result can't be overturned um, because there is, there is the loss of the games make quite clear what's happening there. And the referee team almost got it all correct. Um, so we thought this is probably the end of the matter. And if I were pretty much set on Saturday um, in conversations that they had with Bayern Munich, that they were not going to challenge it. Now, um, just before we started recording, it turns out Freiburg are going to challenge this result. Or rather, um, going to use the legal system um, to their benefit as much as is possible, right? Um, I don't think they themselves believe that there is much success here. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting one. So their statement basically says that they feel obliged to make 
an appeal because you know they don't really want to be in this position but they're basically saying we're going to appeal it so the legal system can sort it out and if it happens again in the future then you know the dfl will know what to do Mm -hmm. and i'm a little suspicious of that i must admit um as you said, you know, there was no real indication after the game that Freiburg were that bothered about it. Although Christian Strike was furious on the sidelines as it was happening. So I do wonder if he's then, he's since had a kind of influence in this. Um, and yeah, and then, you know, I think the referee himself came out and spoke about it afterwards. The head of the Referee Association in Germany came out and it was an interview with Kicker and he said, it's not the referee's fault, it's nobody's fault, just a series of errors. Um, I know Freiburg have come out and said, well, we're just going to do this so there's a legal precedent going forward. But as I was saying to you before the show, Dortmund's second team played Duisburg in 2013 and the same thing happened. Um, But in that case, the home side said, oh, do you know what? We were already losing to Dortmund. It's not a big deal. And they just kind of waived their right to appeal it. So... You could argue that this has already happened in German football and there already has been a legal precedent set, which is if you're already losing the game, just accept it and move on. So I'm quite surprised if Freiburg are actually doing this. And I do wonder if at face value they're saying, well, we're just going by the letter of the book and we're just going to be very official and we're just going to be very... We're going to be very German about it, I'll put it that way. Um, <laughs> just go ahead and do it. Uh, but I do wonder if behind closed doors they're thinking, well, you know, if the DFL now feel obliged to give us a 2-0 win over Bayern, then we'll just pretend we're not happy about it, but actually be delighted. Of course, you take the three points if they give them to you, right? Um, They are on the hunt for a Champions League spot. And I think um, they themselves in their statement said that they're obliged to um, use every legal avenue um, towards uh, for moral reasons towards the stakeholders, right? Which in this case is the fans, um, the sponsors, and all that, um, which makes sense. Um, I mean, also, if, if they were a company, I think they would have to be actually legally responsible to do so as well. Yeah. To put in a put in an appeal. Um, you know, it does kind of make sense. We're talking about millions and millions of euros when when you if you make the Champions League, right? Um, or whether it's the Europa League even, you never know those three points can be crucial at the end of the day. And I can see uh, the stakeholders at the club saying like, look, if we were a company, we would have to put in the legal process. So in that sense, it kind of makes sense to me that they did. Even if their chances of the appeal process going through um, aren't high. That said, um, there's always that really nice German saying, Recht haben und Recht bekommen, to be right and to be given right or being legally uh, given given the, the legal rights are two mm. very different things, right? Yeah. And the court could maybe decide differently. You never know. I mean, at the end of the day, I wouldn't rule it out. I don't think it's likely, but I wouldn't rule it out. Um yeah, it's it's very interesting, and I do understand why Freiburg are doing it. Um, I think too, it's also maybe has something to do with the fact that they don't want to maybe look like Bayern Munich kind of pressured them into not doing it because there were these pictures taken after the game with Oliver Kahn and some of the sporting directors um, from Freiburg talking and um, them kind of ha- shaking sh- shaking hands and all that sort of stuff. So you don't really necessarily want to give a picture of Bayern Munich kind of running the league that could have something to do with it as well. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'd be interested to see what happens from here on in because technically nothing really should happen. So I think there's to be something maybe everyone will forget about in a week or two. But mm-hmm. yeah, maybe it might snowball into something and then we might have a good laugh about it in a few weeks' time when, when we all thought that the league title was finished and then for some reason... All of a sudden, Bayern lose three points. Uh, it wouldn't be out of sorts with this season because it has been kind of crazy. But it was a it was a good laugh to watch during the game, and um, I think we yeah. we praised Kevin Hatchart when uh, he was commentating on the Bochum game before the international break, and there was a, a break because obviously some idiot fan threw a bottle on the on the on the pitch, and it uh, delayed that game. But I think Derek Ray on the international feed was in a very similar situation here when for a good seven or eight minutes, nobody had any idea what was going on. Mm-hmm. 
and the, the 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 stream was just a constant kind of flicker from one camera angle to another of managers, players, referees, people just shrugging their shoulders and talking to each other. So it was, <laughs> it was a very comical. Yeah, it was comical. Everyone was having a great laugh on Twitter, but poor Derek and I can't remember who his call commentator was that day. They had to keep keep things flowing on there, and I thought they did a very good job of it, as you would expect. Mm-hmm. I did speak to Derek briefly after the game and he said um, at this stage for a commentator, it's really important not to speculate. And I thought that was really interesting that he stressed that. To just essentially go with what's going on and that's it. Mm. And I can see that being very difficult, right? Um, But yeah, Derek is one of the best. I mean, we had him on the show before, right? And um, he's so knowledgeable and obviously navigated this very well. And a good good thing too that he didn't uh, go one way or another because this could go still a different way. We don't know, right? I mean, it's it's going to be really interesting how this turns out. Um, really briefly on the field and Bayern Munich, obviously, <laughs> I kind of sense that fourth goal when it went in, there was already a sense of deflation on on Freiburg's side. Um, but Freiburg were very much in that game for quite a long time. You know, when they made it 1-1, I actually thought, okay, well, maybe they're actually do, they're going to get something out of this. Um, they were a little bit little bit hang out to dry by the goalkeeper, Stefan mm-hmm. Flecken. Um, maybe still on cloud nine after his pretty good performance against Germany when he played for the Netherlands during the international break. Oh, boy, he had not, did not have a good day. No, he, he did not. Back. He did yeah. not back. <laughs> yeah, he also. I mean, I, I would go so far as to say this was a very even game up until Bayern scored that goal, and I was literally in the process of typing up saying, "You know what? Bayern have to change something here." Lewandowski and Goretzka both looked quite tired, and it was understandable because Goretzka was just coming back from injury. But I looked up just before I pushed send, and he was heading home a goal. So I'm glad I waited. Um, but that goal came out of nowhere. Uh, you know, as a set piece goal, that's what happens in football. They come out of nowhere, and even after that, obviously Freiburg score again or they equalise rather with a really good kind of attacking move. And then, you know, I didn't, I didn't really feel like Bayern were kind of pushing back into this game, but it just so happened that Serge Gnabry comes on and almost with his first touch, really superb yeah. cross from Hernandez, and. You know, he, he he just turns Schlotterbeck on the spot. I thought it was really poor defending for Schlotterbeck. And I yeah. didn't think he had a great game against Holland. I've seen some people say they thought he did, which is quite interesting, I guess. It's just a game of opinions at the end of the day. And that certainly shows because I thought he was quite... Um, I thought okay he was really pint. good the first 70 minutes. Yeah. And then but, all of the German team kind of sputtered a bit, including yeah, I him. Think, I think he certainly showed in that Holland game and against Bayern that he does have, he, he, he can have moments of just losing concentration because mm-hmm. for that Gnabry goal, not only is he caught under the ball, maybe you could argue that his fullback should have been covering, but in fact, I think if you watch the replay, there's maybe a midfield runner who's, who loses Gnabry. Um, but that's still something that Schlotterbeck should have been on top of. He, he didn't have a man to mark. So it's not as if he was getting pulled out of position or anything. He's under the ball when it comes over, Nabry turns him with a great turn of pace and uh, yeah, it wasn't a great moment for him. And then after that, Bayern just kind of rumble on. Coleman's goal was outstanding. Really amazing finish. And then for the fourth oh, goal, Sabitzer. Stefan, I think, and this is another one, when like as when I play goalkeeper, I was always told if you get your hand on the ball, you can stop the ball and Flecken has his hand fully on that shot. Yeah, that's a fair point. I can I can understand. You can definitely blame the keeper for it at some point. I just thought it was a really good finish as well, but I know what you yeah. mean. Yeah. No, this is just like something that like, funnily enough, while I was playing in the Netherlands, was always, my goalkeeper coach was always on that. He's like, if you have the hand on the ball, that's a savable ball hmm. every time. If your hand touches the ball and it still goes in, that's a goalkeeper mistake. And it's, <laughs> it's it was a ran it into my brain when I was playing there for that one year. Like this guy was on it every single time, every single time. And like now whenever I see a goalkeeper getting a hand on the ball, I'm like, that's his mistake. That's his fault. (laughs) (laughs) So like for me, like 
and I, it's just it's not like just a little bit of the hand it's like the four or five fingers right yeah um, yeah, absolutely, and and then obviously the fourth goal. The fourth goal was embarrassing. Freiburg had just stopped trying at this point, and you yeah. know it's bad when Sabitzer scoring against you for Bayern Munich. So, um, but yeah, you know there were some really positives for Bayern going into that Villarreal game. I don't know if you maybe want to just mm-hmm. slowly transition into that, but um, I think Kingsley Coman's at the very top of his game right now. Um, that contract looks- renewal has been good for him. Exactly. He's just putting it all behind him. He's fully committed to Bayern. That's all done and dusted. Kimmich and Goretzka playing together again. You can see how when they two are together in the middle of the park, you can see why Bayern are considered favourites for the Champions League because they just look like a different side. Um, mm. And and yeah, you know, I think on the whole it was fine. I think the only really one player who I think was really quite disappointing in this match and Nagelsmann clearly thought as well too because he because he unceremoniously substituted him off and that was Lewandowski and yeah. you know I think you maybe have a theory as to what's going on there but he he was horrendous in this match he he clocked zero xg which must have been I mean actually I can maybe tell you the last time he clocked zero xg was actually against Salzburg in the Champions League believe it or not which I'm quite surprised at, actually what? maybe that's just not uh-huh. no that, that can be correct that's the first leg right uh, that was the first leg. Yeah, one yeah, one. That makes sense. I believe uh, it. Uh, yeah, that makes total sense. I don't think he. They, I think the only real chance they had was the common equalizer. Yeah, that makes that does make sense. But anyway, it's, mm, it's very on, unexpected. Come on again, me. especially against yeah. Freiburg. He's usually quite good against Freiburg. So, but yeah, something's up there which might cause issues for this Villarreal game. If, so, if we get a similar situation. Bayern fans are going to put their hands over their head and say, not again, not again. But um, just like last year, when Bayern essentially lost the Champions League on a potato field in Andorra while Lewandowski was playing a World Cup qualifier for Poland there, um, it hurt his knee, right? I think he might have gotten into the national team curse again because he struggled with a knee injury during the entire international break. And then he comes back with a performance like that. And I think he's not fit. Mm. And Bayern fans will not want to hear that because that Champions League title hinges on him being fit. He saw it against PSG last year where they should have probably scored 10 goals over the two legs and couldn't because... It's a different thing when Lewandowski isn't there. Um, mm-hmm. So obviously it's not quite as concerning as it was last year where he was full on out, right? Like he was fully ruled out. Um, he is obviously playing, but I don't think he's fit. And um, to transition into this Villarreal game, and Villarreal, I, I just looked at their result from the weekend. They lost 2-0 to last place Levante. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> it's not like... This is a giant of a club coming there. Um, you know, there's a few familiar names. Paco Alcazar, of course, who came off the bench in this game. Um, they've done very well to get as far in the Champions League as they have. Uh, Una Emery, I think long forgotten is his time as the manager of Arsenal. I think when, when you take him out of that context and just look at what he's done with Villarreal, winning the Europa League, right? Hmm. Um, is a very different manager there than he is with the questionable legacy that he left behind in England. And I think that wasn't just his fault either. I think the press went after him, as they often do against foreign managers in England, right? Hmm. Um, look at Jesse Marsh and what he has to endure at the moment. Um, I think this is a really well-coached team. It's a very good club. It's a very small club. Um, and they have done some really fantastic work being a small club and doing well, I would actually kind of compare them to Freiburg a little bit, you know, always or a Hoffenheim, that kind of size of club, um, doing wonderful stuff with the little resources that they have, uh, which also, of course, points to the fact that Bundesliga teams underperform in Europe. Um, but honestly, Stefan, I think Bayern will go through here. Yeah, I think they're overwhelming favourites. I think they would have been more than happy with the draw when it first came out. Um, and it'd be interesting to see if Nagelsmann maybe rests Lewandowski for this first leg. 
Um, mm. It would be very surprising if he did, but if he isn't fit, if he is nursing an injury, he may think, right, okay, well, we have this clash against uh, Villarreal, you know, in Spain, if I'm not mistaken, and, you know, we can maybe just try and play it tight here. No away goals, so who really cares if we score or don't score? Um, and let's try Musiala in that kind of false nine position, see how we go on, something like that, maybe. <laughs> so I guess we will kind of see... Him. He gets to play all the different roles. <laughs> well, he seems to be pretty good at it. Uh, you know, we did we did actually see for when he came on for Lewandowski, if I'm not mistaken, in this game, and then Muller actually got moved up front, and then Musiala got moved into number ten position. So maybe that's something that Nagelsmann was trying out ahead of this game. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if Lewandowski plays like he did against Freiburg for one reason or another. Bayern are basically down the man. They're basically playing with 10 men. Yeah, and he's quite... like People only look at his goals, but he is very important in terms of what he does. Uh, he, oh, yeah. he drifts quite a bit, right? Yeah. Um, and he doesn't miss many games. This is the other thing. Like I looked as, I was actually talking to my dad about this, um, who watches all the Bundesliga games religiously. Mm-hmm. And he's. We were talking about Haaland, and this is going to be going to be a good transition in a moment. And how often Haaland is injured, and how invisible Haaland is at times. Mm-hmm. And he's like, that would never happen to Lewandowski. Lewandowski never misses any games. And I went to the transfer mark page and looked at his starting eleven percentage, and it's a hundred percent this season. Mm-hmm. And he's missed just three. And this includes a game on the weekend. He just missed three percent of all minutes the Bayern Munich played this year. Yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's, he is a miracle yeah. marvel. Uh, you know, he kind of makes jokes about himself and, you know, people talk about Robert the Abs, Lewandowski and things like that, but he does take fantastic care of himself and that's why he has been able to kind of match Messi and Ronaldo in terms of goals scored over the years because he never gets mm-hmm. injured. Um, yeah. So it's interesting you say that because he he obviously does play a huge role um, in their build-up play and I was actually just looking at, um, like, Bayern's figures before in that Freiburg game and up... In the first half, their XG was maybe something like 0.25, 0.3. Um, mm. You know, they've created really absolutely nothing up until that Goretzka goal. Um, and then when things started to get stretched a little bit, um, it got better. But yeah, when he doesn't play, they really do struggle create chances. So mm. if you, it'd be interesting to see what happens with or without him. It's also interesting when you go and look at his goal participation in the Bundesliga. He scored 30, he was involved in 38 goals, 38% of the goals that Bayern scored. In the Champions League, it's 50%. And this this goes to all those people who think that Lewandowski only performs in the Bundesliga. Um, mm. The numbers don't support that. <laughs> um, you know, not at all, actually. But um, here we are. It's, it's interesting. I think that is, for me, the big question mark. Is Lewandowski fit? And if he's not fit, do you play him? I personally say no, but Nagelsmann might have a different opinion, of course. I think you rest him um, yeah. for the first leg because the second leg is also in Munich. And yeah, there's there's no need really to do it because even if you like... One one two two zero zero. Who cares? I think if you essentially go in with a draw at half time, you're going to win this game. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But this is this is it, maybe just a tiny bit of Musiala um, on his number eight thing. I, I think he was actually it's been really good in that position. And um, I said to you before the show, oh maybe that means Bayern won't sign, sign Grafenberg, but you think he's going to come in for Toulouse, eh? Yeah, I do. There's news today, actually, that poor Toliso's now picked up another injury. He's out for yeah. two or three weeks. And, you know, it'll be a shame if he finishes the season injured for Bayern and he doesn't get a proper send-off. But at the same time, it'll also be quite fitting because, unfortunately, that just sums up his time at Bayern. Um, you know, I don't actually... I can't really say what type of player Gravenberg is because I haven't watched him. I'm not going to pretend mm. I have. I've seen bits of him in the Champions League. I know he can play as a six. I know he can play as an eight. But I think in terms of whose position or whose spot he takes in this Bayern team, I think it's Toliso's. Uh, I don't think he's coming into this team to be a straight starter, for example. I think he will have to compete with Kimmich and Goretzka. Uh, Sabitzer too, maybe, although he can 
fit in around the squad when necessary. You know, he can play full back, he can play on the wing, he can play at wing back as well, things like that. So he's not really. I don't think Nagelsmann sees Sabitzer as a central midfielder through and through. I think he sees him as more of a squad player. So, um, yeah, I think he's replacing Taliso, long story short. Yeah, that would make sense because when I looked at uh, Grafenberg for a for Forbes article I did last month, um, he was actually most comparable with Goretzka rather than... And I, some people claimed, like, oh, maybe this is, like, finally the Thiago replacement. And no, <laughs> he's <laughs> not, like... Thiago at all <laughs> that's not it um but like his stats are quite comparable to Goretzka his physicality um so I actually think maybe he's a Goretzka backup which would point exactly to what you say that Tolisso is on his way out um which makes total sense so yeah but yeah Musiala I think uh speaking of Thiago replacements uh crazily enough he could be it <laughs> it's he's been so good um but I think I've said everything you need to know about Musiala last week. Um, needless to say, I'm a huge fan. Um, but yeah, we did talk about Lewandowski and how he's never hurt. Let's talk about a center forward who's in the news all the time um, and is hurt all the time, it appears. And we cannot talk about this fiasco of a match that we witnessed in the top spiel. For Dortmund, fiasco of a match for Dortmund because it was quite the opposite for Leipzig, obviously. Um, Dortmund getting smashed. like, And I mean this in, the, in exactly that way. They got absolutely smashed. It was a statement win by Leipzig. Uh, they're quite clearly the second best, maybe the best team in German football now. Um, it's too bad we didn't get to see Tedesco in charge from the beginning because I think the entire league would be in a different stage at the moment. Hmm. But Dortmund, it is this wonderful German word called Offenbarungseid, which I sometimes use on this podcast, hmm. which is sort of translates into lay open all weaknesses. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what happened here. It was a gulf of quality between those two sides, Stefan. It wasn't even close. Yeah, I think you make. You, you think you hit the nail on the head there when you say it was a statement performance, and that's kind of what I said after the game. I said, you know, Leipzig have been arguably the best team in German football since Tedesco came to the club, um, and they obviously felt like they had a point to prove. They were they mm. were they were very careful. They were very you know method, methodical with their tactics. They held they sat off Dortmund because they and Tedesco said this. He did a really great interview with Archie Reinter uh, for ESPN after the game, and he happily explained his tactics. He said, "Look, we knew that Dortmund were going to be full of fire, playing in a full Westfalen stadion." So we sat off them for twenty minutes, and we just waited and we waited and then we pounced, and that's exactly what they did. And I think. I think the way that Tedesco carries himself, I find so impressive. You know, he comes across, I watched that interview and I thought, mm. he reminds me almost of like a young Jose Mourinho. And I mean that as a complete compliment because I know nowadays people think of Mourinho as this kind of raving, angry, kind of <laughs> obsessive, ranting older man. But when he first came through at Porto, he, was, he had this almost quiet air of confidence about him. And I know... You know, he made history being very as he be, he he has become a very outspoken coach. But when he first when he was the special one, he almost let his tactics to the talking form, and that's certainly how that's how Tedesco comes across. I think for Leipzig, um, and to contrast that with the way that Rosa was talking after the game, I thought it was very stark. You know, he was asked about Emery Chan about his mistakes, and he said, "Well, do you know what?" We're talking about he's like we're talking about Emery Chan here, and a German international. And you kind of you kind of look at that and you think, well, hold on a minute, like Emery Chan hasn't really been a German. I mean, he technically is a German international, but he hasn't been an international quality player for some time now. Um, I don't think even the most ardent Dortmund fans would argue that he's been up to scratch. And I just found it very. I mean, like maybe Mark Rose was just defending his player as his prerogative mm-hmm. as the head coach, but. For him to then say that, and then for Mats Hummels to come out and say he came out, he came out and said, "Look, you know, we made some mistakes, but that that wasn't a, you know, that wasn't a four one result." Leipzig. No, it could have been worse. 
<laughs> yeah, and I thought I thought Leipzig were surgical in the in the yeah. way they attacked, and that fourth goal to round things up just showed. And yeah, to, yeah. So to kind of just kind of put a wee bow on it, I would say you know Leipzig had a point to prove. They proved it that they are at least the second best team in German football right now. Um, I'm sure Bayern Munich are more than delighted that they don't have to play them before the end of the season. Uh, because I think Leipzig yeah. can probably beat them too, and 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 and, and if and if, and if Leipzig can keep all these players, which I think they probably can, then they really are title contenders next season, and they should have been this oh, really? season if not for Jesse Marsh. And Kunku's getting paid. <laughs> we, I think we can all agree on that. That Kunku is going to get paid. Um, someone at Fuchlamsee is going to open the wallet and make sure <laughs> that he's not going anywhere. Like it's be like it's true. He doesn't yeah. have an exit clause. He's under contract. Like, yeah. And they're going to shut him up by throwing all the money in the world at him. Yeah. And like, um, I think the only way that Nkunku maybe leaves RB Leipzig this summer is if or when Kylian Mbappe leaves to join PS, uh, leaves PSG to join Real Madrid. You can see a situation in which PSG say, like, right, okay, Nkunku is a similar type of player. Let's just give Leipzig what they want for him. And then, you know, that'll be that. Which... The difference between Leipzig and Dortmund is that if when Dortmund lose Haaland, they have no replacement in in, in stage mm-hmm. at all. I know there's talk of Adeyemi, but now it looks like Dortmund are going to have to pay through the nose for him because Salzburg already know that he's that Dortmund want him to replace Haaland, who they'll make, what, 70, 80 million euros from. If Leipzig lose in Kunku, they've already got two or three replacements in that squad. They've already got... Yeah, and they're probably also going to just get Adeyemi. Yeah, already. Yeah, I suppose we could just bring him in too. But you know, they've already got a goal scorer in Andre Silva, who is the, you know we can often overlook the fact that Nkunku's goals have kind of overlooked the fact that Silva hasn't even really got started at Leipzig yet. Mm-hmm. You have Danny Olmo as well, who's just as promising a player who plays in a very similar position, who looked outstanding against Dortmund. You know, so if 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 worst case scenario Leipzig do need to sell Nkunku, which I really don't think they will, then. You know they do have they do they, they do have Plan B, C, and D in place, and that's the big difference between Leipzig and Dortmund. And I said this during the game as well. I said, you know, if Leipzig do overtake Dortmund next season, which looks very likely, it's because they've put together a proper squad, and Dortmund are just a collection of individuals. And for some reason, Dortmund don't have the capacity to build a well structured squad with enough proper depth in it, unlike Leipzig. There was a really interesting video compilation put together that I just saw on, on Twitter that we um, that was retweeted by Stefan Ursfeld. Mm. Um, and if you can read German, I urge you to read Stefan Ursfeld match report on this. It's skating. It's and Stefan is a Dortmund fan. I need to point this out. It's an execution of a club and its philosophy. That's the only way to put it. It's a, it's a fantastic article. And Stefan, I know Stefan well, and he's a great writer, has always been a great writer, both in English and in German, which is rare. Um, and he just absolutely dismantled Dortmund and everything that Dortmund, well, I don't want to say stands for because we don't know what they stand for. And I think this is sort of his point. Um his argument is, of course, that they stand for just being a club that players like Haaland use to profilate themselves and then move on. And you cannot build an identity that way. Hmm. It's just not possible. And Haaland is also getting heavily criticized in this piece, rightfully so. He's calling him a husk of his former self and a hülle. Um, and I mean, that's true. He wasn't present at all in this match. Um, one moment where he stumbles around the penalty box like Bambi and that's about it. And we're talking about a guy here who's misses about 50% of all games, you know, not even mm-hmm. minutes, games. And, um, you know, just played 33% of all games in the Champions League to make it even sound even worse. And it's like, yeah, he scores a lot of goals, but his goal participation isn't, isn't as good as Lewandowski's. Um, mm-hmm. Of course, much younger, but like your body doesn't get better over years. It gets worse. And I think there is a point now where Dortmund have to look at this and say, okay, when are we just going to become this glorified shopping mark for 
um, some of Europe's biggest clubs and actually do build something here. You know, like every club in the world is always going to lose players to the big teams. Um, you know, only maybe two or three clubs in the world kind of say no when it comes to this kind of thing. But I think Dortmund really have to look at this. Um, we actually got some interesting questions on, on this as well. Stefan, should we read some of them? Yeah, go for and it. And maybe, maybe try to make um, sense um, sense of it. I mean, uh, Gil Huckle um, writes, and what's the issue with B4B? Lack of mentality, poor management, lack of ambition from the top. I really want to hear your thoughts on that. Something Sometimes I wonder where is the line between responsible and just use the that as an excuse for poor planning in the last years. Hmm. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, and I think another question kind of links it with us too, is it down to Marco Rose's tactics or not? And I think we've kind of talked about this already on the podcast, whenever Dortmund do slip up, and they've slipped up a lot this mm. season as to, you know, who's at fault here? Is, is this team not performing because Rose is not doing well or vice versa? And I do tend to fall into into a kind of situation where not falling but I kind of slot into the kind of train of thought that this team simply isn't good enough and that's not really to make an excuse for Marco Rosa I don't think he's doing a great job with it I mean you can always you can, there's always situations where a team isn't good enough and there's certainly situations when a manager can take a decent or a poor squad and make them play better um mm. but I mean if you just look at that starting 11 that played against Leipzig um, and even take the bench as well. If you were to compare the two clubs, there's maybe one or two players in that Dortmund team who would get into the Leipzig side. One or two tops, I would say. Maybe three if you want to play, if you want to take Cobell. Uh, you know, you're talking maybe Bellingham, maybe an Erling Haaland. Besides that, I'm not entirely sure who in that Dortmund team gets into Leipzig side. And if you look at the benches, RB Leipzig have the much better bench as well. And we're not really talking about either team here missing huge amounts of players okay, maybe Dortmund were missing one or two but so if you're looking at maybe not just the first 11 but the, the whole 25 man squad Leipzig have the better assist, have have the better team there and you could maybe make the same argument that Leipzig have the better team overall compared to Bayern Munich as well, Bayern have better individuals absolutely but man for man over 25 over a 25 man squad Leipzig maybe have a better system so the question then becomes, well, what do we expect of Dortmund if they don't have the players to do what the fans expect of them? So mm. I don't know, to be perfectly honest with you. I think a lot has been asked of Dortmund uh, and they don't. They simply don't have the resources, A, in terms of the squad, because more often than not with this Dortmund team and when they were playing well, it usually comes down to individuals performing and we've seen that with Bellingham, Certainly seen it with Haaland this season. We've seen it at points with Royce um, and Cobell as well. You've got three or four really outstanding players there who at times this season have saved Dortmund's bacon. And you could argue, okay, well, maybe the tactics should be better to protect certain parts of this team. But I think there's also a question as to why is anyone expecting a team that has Emery Chan at central defence or an ageing Axel Witzel in central midfield or you know, talking Hazard at fullback, why is anyone expecting this team to be challenging for a Bundesliga title or even asking them to beat a very impressive RB Leipzig side? So mm. I think Marco Rosa could be doing better, but I think at the end of the day, Dortmund have just misplaced their resources horrendously here because across the board, this squad just isn't good enough. Yeah, there's an interesting interview in the Süddeutsche Zeitung with Sebastian Kehl on the day of that match. And he's, of course, succeeding um, Zorak as the new sporting director. And there was a lot of those questions asked uh, to him. And he was quite um, open about having that change has to happen and it has to be significant while also trying to defend Zorc and the many decisions that were made. Um, maybe it's just a matter of bringing in some fresh ideas and new blood, and that can help, but I'm with you. The, the, it, it's, you know, the, I see when Leipzig, they bring on guys like Forsberg and Halstenberg and Klostermann and Schubert's live from the bench, for, and the, the quality doesn't, it, for them, the quality doesn't drop when they make substitutions. 
Hmm. And that is for me a big sign. Like even with Bayern, like someone like Sa or Sabitza comes on, and like, okay, Bayern obviously think they've won this because otherwise they wouldn't make the substitution, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, whereas whereas with Leipzig, you can you can add quality from the bench. How many teams in the world can do that? Not many. They can. Hmm. Um, and and I think for them it's going to be really interesting because I think for Leipzig this can be still a very very good season. They're still in the Pokal. I think they're favored to win that. And they're in the Europa League, and they're playing Atalanta next. Uh, and Atalanta lost to Napoli on the weekend, three uh, one. Um, we've seen this Atalanta side against Leverkusen. Uh, it was quite close. Um, I mean, Atalanta did go through in the end, but I actually thought it was it was it was a it was a good competition between the two. And then Leverkusen was just Leverkusen as they always are. I do think Leipzig have a good chance here. Yeah, absolutely, and you know. But part of that is just down to the fact that they probably have the best or the most informed player in the Bundesliga right now in Christopher Nkunku. And, yeah, so good. And even just off the back of that Dortmund game, I was just in awe of his talents. And not just in terms of like his immediate talent, but also just kind of the the, 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 the journey that he's made at Leipzig, I think, which is just something that we, not that we overlook, but obviously it's just something that we have to kind of take into account because it's easy to forget that when he arrived from PSG, he was this very kind of one-dimensional winger to an extent you know I remember in that first season with Timo Werner he was he he was Werner's playmaker you know I think they they had the highest kind of goals and assists mix between them so I think I think I, I checked today and of the 15 assists he made in the Bundesliga that season five were for Werner who was obviously the talisman for Leipzig at that stage Leipzig then sell Werner last season they had this very kind of weird but worked at the end of the day system where they didn't really have a talisman. You know, I think Polson, Yusuf Polson was the guy who finished top goal scorer for Leipzig, but he only finished with maybe like 13 league goals, I think. And they had maybe five or six players who had seven or eight. And, you know, and then Nkunku was one of them. But this season, we've just kind of seen him really pull away. I mean, he's sitting on, what, 27 goals this season, I think Andre Silva's got fifteen, who's second in the in the in this Leipzig team. Um, and the really interesting thing for me is when you look at Nkunku's xG per ninety. So basically, how many chances he's creating per game to score goals. That actually hasn't really changed much the last three seasons. But his actual goals per ninety has just shot right up. And I think what kind of makes me think that might be the case is that if you look at his 27 goals for Leipzig this season, only three of them have come outside the box. He's he's, he's really perfected this ability to make these late runs into the box, get on the end of Leipzig counter-attacks. And I just think that's really interesting how he's transitioned from being this very traditional winger who you know would beat his man on the, on the, on the touchline, swing a cross in, play a nice through ball and a counter-attack for the striker, and he's now become this kind of talisman for this. He's almost become a striker himself in the way that mm. he kind of finds space in the box. He gets on the end of moves. And he's now Leipzig's main source for goals. Um, and to use that pace with his technique, he really does remind me of a player like Kylian Mbappe, to be honest with you. Because I was just going to say that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, that that's, that's how he looks when you watch him. Yeah. Very similar. Um yeah, I'm 100% with you. This is a player type that you don't see very often, but of course they're both French, so maybe it's something that comes from there as well. But yeah, he's he, he's the full package at the moment. Yeah, absolutely. And he could be the... And, and if you look at the teams that are left in this competition, of course Barcelona have excellent individual players themselves, but he's the kind of player that can really win a tie for Leipzig against anyone, to be honest with you. So it'll be interesting to see just how far they can go. Yeah, that's a really good transition um, because I do want to... We had this question come in, actually. Why are Eintracht Frankfurt so much better in the Europa League than in the Bundesliga? And uh, I guess we'll find out how true that statement is when they do play Barcelona. Um, first of all, Barcelona have improved significantly under Xavi. Um, they beat Sevilla 1-0 on the weekend. Um, Sevilla second in the league, Real Madrid running away with the title there. Um, but they have started to look a lot better. 
Um, they seem to be finding money in all sorts of places, um, <laughs> making all sorts of transfers with money that doesn't exist. I, I have to hire their accountant. Um, obviously, I would love to have, I would love to be able to spend money I don't have. That'd be great. But it's a completely different story. Um, they do look a lot better. I do think they're favorites against Eintracht Frankfurt. And I think this is also the sort of draw where Frankfurt, first of all, the Waldstadion is going to be full again. And if you have never experienced a European night in Frankfurt, and I've been to a few of them as a reporter, and it's the hardest place in the world to work because, Stefan, you're right underneath the roof mm. and it's so loud it hurts. Like This is the only time in my life that I've been in a venue where my ears hurt. And I've been to concerts where it's like not been that bad. It's so loud. It's the loudest stadium in Germany by far. It's... It, Everyone always talks about uh, Dortmund's uh, Westfalenstadion and how great the atmosphere is. And it is. It's wonderful. Like, And then the weekend was a great display of that. This stadium, though, in Frankfurt tops it. Hmm. It's hell. Um, um, for- they apparently, they had 250,000 requests for tickets for this game. <laughs> yeah. Wow. I mean, to, to try and answer the question, it's, it's actually a very tricky question because I personally struggle to make sense of this Frankfurt team. You know, I every week, some of the work I do, I have to put together statistical kind of previews for matches and yeah. predictions, as we do on this podcast itself now. And Frankfurt are easily one of the toughest teams to predict. Really, it's them and yeah. Hoffenheim and the other team that drive me mad um, because one week they're fantastic, one week they're not. The only thing I can really suggest as to why they're maybe better in the in the Europa League is that I think fundamentally they might be a counter-attacking side. Um, and up front, they have this kind of impressive front line of Kamada, Kostic on the left, and then on the on the right, you kind of have Jesper Lindstrom. And the three of them work best when they have space to run into or space to pass into. And... Mm. You know, we've seen this kind of struggle to finish games off or to even win them uh, recent weeks. Perhaps, obviously, the Greuther Furt game at the weekend where they draw a nil-nil is a good example of that. Yeah. Um, but then, obviously, the, before the international break, they played RB Leipzig, in which case I thought they were very lucky to get away with a nil-nil draw in that game. But defensively, they were sound. You know, it's just they didn't have the talent to beat Leipzig on the break or something like that. And I think that's maybe why they've done well in Europe, but maybe not well in the Bundesliga, because in Europe they play teams who are happy to attack them, to leave space behind, and then those front that front three have space to kind of move on. I mean, I'm still a They're fan of Rafael Bora, Bora, and he hasn't really yeah. done it recently. He's only scored like one goal in the last two months, I think. So he's got to do better. But on the whole, I think they're better when they play play teams who give them space to counter. I did ask, uh, um, because you're bringing up Bore, and I remember when he first moved to um, Frankfurt, we have um, at Transfermarkt, we have someone in Argentina who's clearly knowledgeable on the ground, now a reporter there. And he said he, he does have that sort of, he always had that as well at River Plate, um, that it would come in, he's he very streaky, mm-hmm. on and off. And I think we're seeing that here. Like, uh, don't get me wrong; he's, oh, he's a great player. Mm. Love watching him. But like, that, he, 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 we were told at the time that he's very streaky. Um, and I think you're just seeing that right now. And I mean, I guess maybe when he develops, uh, if he develops, and I think he will because he's a good player. Um, and he's only 26. He, maybe he will. This is the one aspect that in Germany they're going to tell him, like, look, <laughs> you can't be streaky here. Um, but like, yeah, I think that's maybe one of the things that uh, when when you look at him, but they're so fast. Like that entire front line is so fast. And it's going to be really interesting to see that against Barcelona because I think they're going to do exactly the same thing what you pointed out. They're just going to sit deep and try to hit Barca on the counter. And it might work. It could very well work. I mean, the one thing where I say, and this is really going to be really interesting, uh, it's all the Germany's national team goalkeepers, Ter Stegen and Trapp against each other. <laughs> So yeah. um, that's going to, uh, very, going to be very interesting to watch, I think. They both have a point to prove. I think it's quite clear that the two of them are now competing for that number two spot, right? Um, and that's going to be very interesting. And Ter Stegen will, is, is going to be one to watch for me because it, because Frankfurt are so fast. And Ter Stegen, I think, where he has slightly the upper hand over Trapp is he's he plays a little bit like Neuer. He's like an extra player. 
And uh, yeah, when you play a counter-attack probably, side, that's... Yeah, hmm? I was just going to say, I think Trapp's maybe a better shot stopper, and he's been in outstanding yeah. form recently, so it'll be interesting to see if he can maybe make a difference in this game, where Frankfurt will probably up against it. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it, I, I'm looking forward to this immensely. I think it's, it's, it's the sort of game that Frankfurt really can't lose, hmm. because they go out in the quarterfinals of the Europa League, and that's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> No one is going to hold it against them, which is why I kind of think they're probably going to go through. Because <laughs> um, also, like, I, I've noticed this, and I've, I mean, I've um, in the last few years had the privilege to cover Frankfurt quite closely, go to a lot of the games because it's often quite convenient for me to fly into Frankfurt and then take the train to Munich, and then on the way home catch a game in Frankfurt, and then take a flight out in early in the morning back to Canada. Um, so I've been very privileged, privileged of t- covering a few games there. And it's, it is amazing. Um, I always tell everyone to go to an Eintracht Frankfurt game. It's incredible. It's absolutely mind-blowing. It's the best stadium experience in Germany. And that stadium is going to get expanded for the Euros, Euro 2020. And they're going to have 60,000, 65,000 people in there. And that's going to transform the club eventually. I still do think that Frankfurt will at one point be in a top-four team in Germany. Yeah, you think so in in terms of infrastructure and in terms of like obviously the city itself and how it's a hub in Germany, you think that's they are something of a sleeping giant in that regard. Um, and they are a great club as well in general. So it'd be nice to see them really push up. And as we've talked about in the show before, there's already enough Bundesliga giants who've got relegated. So it'd be nice to see one actually fulfill their potential for once. Yeah, and they've of course been relegated in the past. But yeah, um, I think that's pretty much a wrap, Stefan. Um, this show is always is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, if you have a chance, if you're still listening at this stage, please give, go and give us a review. That helps us immensely. And if you have any questions, yeah, please reach out anytime. We really enjoyed the questions this week. They were very Dortmund heavy, so we didn't read them all out because a lot of them were similar. Uh, I hope we did our best to answer them. And yeah, that's about it. Do you have anything to add, Stefan? Uh, no, just as always, thank you very much uh, for listening. Uh, let us know what you think about the new show format. We'll, be having the, we'll have the preview show out later this week. Um, we enjoy doing it, so hopefully you guys like listening to it. We think you do from the amount of people who have listened to it. So hopefully that's a yeah. good thing, and we'll keep going. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, we'll be back later this week. Until then, auf Wiedersehen. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.